last week I asked you guys, how many of you guys are ready for Revelation? <laughs> you know, and you guys are freaking out. And I was like, oh, one more week. And I almost got booed off the stage. I thought I was going to have to put some chicken wire up here. And you guys were ready to get into it. But last week, you guys remember, we talked about the sermon was this. Life after the ascension. Jesus is gone. Now what? And what did they do? They did the basics. They read their Bibles and they studied. They read their Bibles and they studied. Okay, it's never going to get any more fabulous than that. I just want you guys to know there's nothing more fantastic than that. That is the basics. And when you read your Bibles and pray, when you study and pray, you know what you do? You put yourself in a position to be ready for what the Lord does next because the Lord is doing things. Did you know the Lord has a program right now? He has a whole plan, a whole program. And the early church then for 10 days prayed and studied. And I bet on day seven they're like, dude, for real, I'm just getting a little bored. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, we've been studying and praying. What are we waiting for? And Peter's like, we're just, he told us to wait. He told us to wait. And on day 10, Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit came and anointed them and filled them. Did you guys know that today's Pentecost Sunday, June 9th? It's 50 days ago we celebrated Easter. This is Pentecost Sunday, where where we celebrate the Holy Spirit descending upon the church and changing everything. And and I'll just remind you guys, we're going to start the book of Revelation tonight in just a minute. As we study the book of Revelation, it's still the basics. It's still availing yourself and positioning yourself in a place where the Lord can just descend upon you whenever he wants to in whatever way he chooses to. See, the Holy Spirit's in charge. That's great news tonight. Your job, my responsibility, is to just make myself ready, to be ready. Oh, Lord, I thought we were going to do great things today, but you know what? I still had a great day. And then on the times when you least expect it, you've prayed, you've studied, you're just ready to go, and the next thing you know, the Lord will blow into your life and use you to minister to a friend. Pick up the phone call. Oh my gosh, there's a crisis. And Lord, I was ready. I don't know how it happened. It was crazy. Maybe you see a stranded motorist on the side of the road. You're like, you know what? I've got 20 minutes. I could help change a tire. Whatever the case is. And if you're studied up and prayed up, life's very fun. This is what they did then. Uh, This is June 9th, 2019. It's also a special night for me. Today is my 18th wedding anniversary. Got married on June 9th. Praise the Lord. Thank you. So stoked. And uh, yeah, so my wife uh, was today busy with all three of our kids. Uh, we had soccer tournaments today, championship games. I was at church all day. I, I saw her like two times today, but we're still married. We're still happy. Everything's good there, so pray for us. But here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to open up your book to the book of Revelation. Open up your Bible to the very back of the book. And when you go to a Bible study and the pastor says, open up to the book of Revelation, everybody looks smart because everyone can find Revelation. You know what I'm saying? It's all in the back. Like you turn there. The worst days when the pastor's like, open up to Hosea. You're like, Hosea? You know, where's that at? Is that before Daniel, after Daniel? I don't even know where Daniel's at. Revelation, though, you look real smarty pants. Like, oh, yeah, I've been here all day, pastor. I know exactly where it's at. And I'll tell you what. I do want you guys to know where it's at. And I want you guys to be excited about it. Because the book of Revelation tonight is going to ground you, it's going to found you, and you're going to be in a position where you know what in the world is going on. As we study this book out, it's going to give to you the confidence you need, the understanding. It's going to answer questions. It's actually going to produce questions if you can handle it, but it's going to give you a confidence. While you might not know everything about the future, you know who holds the future. And how important is it that you and me and all of us here and those that are earlier services go about our day and finish our jobs and have our relationships with confidence in what in the world is going on. God has asked you, he's put you in this world on purpose. He said, hey, I need you to be a stabilizer. The world's going nuts. Okay, I need you to be salt and light. The the, uh, youth group that meets on Sunday nights is called Salt and Light. And my son, Noah, 11, he started going, and and Nemo got to sneak in tonight because they're doing, you know, laser tag, and he's nine. And 
And so Nemo asked from the back of the Tahoe today, he's like, hey, Dad, what does salt and light mean anyways? And so I quizzed Noah. I was like, hey, Noah, do you know? He's like, nah, not really, Dad. <laughs> and I was like, well, let me explain it to you. Jesus said you're the salt of the world and you're the light of the world. So what's it mean to have light? It means it's, it's light. It's the opposite of darkness. And they were able to fit that in. And I said, what does salt do? You know, they had a bunch of crazy ideas what salt does. And you know, they're actually right on. And, and one of the things Nemo said, he said, salt makes things taste better. And Christians should make things better. And I was like, dude, you're the next pastor. Get in line. You're going to preach next week. Salt actually has a healing effect everywhere it goes. It, it, they call it a panacea. It's, it's an all-around agent of health. It purifies. It, 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 it draws us to itself. It makes things taste better. And Jesus says, I want you guys to be those people. How, how are you going to do that in your work environment? How are you going to do that when you're tested and challenged by your deckhands? How are you going to do it when it's gnarly out there? You're going to stand in the truth of God's word. So let me ask you guys again one more time. How many of you guys are excited for Revelation? Yeah! I sure hope so. Here's how we're going to start tonight. We're going to pray. So bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we open up your book, the Word, and as we turn, Lord, to the back of the book where the answers are, we pray in Jesus' name that you'd be honored in this pursuit, Lord, that you would bless us here by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for two types of mercies tonight, a hearing mercy that we would hear rightly, Lord, and also, Lord, for a teaching mercy, that you, Lord, would give us the ability to learn, to lean in, and to change. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've already done in our lives. You're so faithful, even when we get squirrely, even when we get weird, even when we get tipped over by life, you are steadfast and immovable. Bless us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We saw the first three verses of the book of Revelation. I'd like to read them to you one more time and draw your attention to the introduction of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near, verses 1 through 3 of the book of Revelation. And in your hands, you might have that journal there that covers the first three chapters of the book of Revelation as we study this chapter, chapters 2 and 3 as well, which detail the church in that day. And you can take those notes and write some of these big thoughts and ideas down because the first thing I want to say, and you should write this down, is the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Write that down. Because if I didn't tell you to write it down, you wouldn't write it down because you wouldn't believe it. The book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Now, quite contrary to most Christians is that statement. Most Christians believe, yeah, right, dude, that book's cray-cray. I've never even read it. My grandma said, don't touch that book. I went to read it, and it was paperclip shut. I never had access to it. You guys might have experienced this in certain churches that you've grown up with. Nobody teaches out of the book of Revelation. Nobody reads the book of Revelation. Nobody talks about the book of Revelation, even good Christians. 
Read their Bible and pray every day. You're reading Colossians, you're reading Peter, you're reading the Psalms and Proverbs. Most people just stay away from the book of Revelation because it's scary. And I want you to write down and commit to memory, the book of Revelation is not hard to understand. And my first proof is this, the very title. The title is Revelation, which literally means to reveal, to open, and to make available. Like God says, hey, what should we call this book? I don't know, how about Revelation? Because it's so open. The Greek word is apocalypso. It's where we get our word apocalypse. And even more confused now is it, in my opinion, because apocalypse to you and I is something about chaos in the last battle. And though this book is clear, it does detail the last battle. But I want you guys to believe right off the bat that God wants you. This is so cool. He wants you to know this book. As a matter of fact, it's not hidden. It's called Revelation. It's revealed. John is instructed in more times than two in this book to make sure this book's not sealed. He says, open the book up. Make sure it's not sealed. Make sure everyone gets it. That's important for you Bible students. It's not a sealed book. Now, I contrast that with Daniel. Some of you guys have studied the book of Daniel. We did that like four years ago. And Daniel, when he was given his prophecy in chapter 12, the angel told him, now, Daniel, seal this book up until the time of the end. Daniel's like, all right, that's pretty great, great. I'm going to seal this book up until the time of the end. And then he went on to say, and the time of the end will have two things. Knowledge will increase, and people will travel to and fro. That's what Daniel said. Daniel said, I'll seal the book up until the end. And he told us what the end looked like, which here's the cool part. We're in the end. So now the book of Daniel's opened up. The book of Revelation has opened up. And most commentators believe that Daniel and Revelation are like lock and key. They go together. And one complements the other. And you can understand both through each other. Daniel was instructed, seal it up, bro. Don't let anybody know what's going on until the end. We're so privileged. We're here now. Daniel did say something in chapter 12. He said, in the end, there would be knowledge increasing and people would travel to and fro. Have you seen this happen in the year 2019? Is knowledge increasing? They did studies. And in the year 1900, they estimate that the knowledge the world had, okay, the data we had, doubled every 100 years. Okay, in 100 years, just, just 100 years, everything we knew would double in the year 1900. But by 1950, end of World War II, they estimated that now technology had advanced so much that the knowledge we had would double every 25 years. It quadrupled. And then in the year 2000, they estimate that the amount of knowledge we have every day, the amount of stuff we're learning every day, doubles every year. Okay, once every 12 months. Recent studies estimate that the amount of knowledge we have, data, new information, doubles every 12 months hours just consider that because this is crazy in the year 1900 it took a whole hundred years for us to double our knowledge base by the end of today today began early and it'll end late and in the spectrum of 24 hours the amount of knowledge and information that we have doubles every 12 hours and is it going to slow down or get faster with the amount of internet and the satellites and all the encyclopedias and new libraries could be volumed every single day of information. Where's the funny part? Just because we have all that knowledge and all that data doesn't actually make us smarter, though. Have you noticed that? People think everything's getting better, and I would agree. You know what's really getting better? Technology. You talk to some secular humanists out there who want to have this kind of pie-in-the-sky mentality that everything's actually getting better. Why are you Christians always talking about the end times? Things are getting better. I'm like, the only thing getting better is the speed of internet. That's it. That's all we got, technology. But when you think about the quality of life, what's going on in people's minds and hearts and relationships, even well-to-do people, rich people that have everything together, they're the most likely to abuse drugs or, or commit suicide, the people that have everything. And what's going on? Daniel said, in the end, 
my book would be open. Oh, and here's a few things to look for, just in case you want to know it's the end. Knowledge would increase. And he also said that travel would happen. People would travel to and fro, which in his day, I'm like, what does that mean? People are going to have super fast camels? All right, whatever. You know, like, you're going to get two camels per family. It's going to be nuts. I hope you guys have traveled the world. I hope you have. It's a, it's a surreal experience. It really grounds you. When you realize you can leave here right now and you can go to Eugene or Portland, you can get on an airplane. You can just walk right to the counter and get on the next airplane, airplane to LAX or to Seattle. And then you can get off that plane and go right to the next ticket counter and say, I want to go to Europe right now. And you can go to Europe and you can get to Europe. I'm going to go to Africa right now. You can just travel the world. Nothing would stop you. You can go anywhere you want. That's incredible. You can, beyond that, you can take your phone out and call China right now. Okay? You can Skype the Ukraine right now. It's crazy. And so here we are sitting here. Lord, what's going on? I'm so confused about life. And he says, there's nothing to be confused about. It's all right here. The books are open. It's been revealed. And I want you at the front end of this to say, God doesn't want me to walk around like a chicken little, like the sky is falling and I don't know what's happening, but instead he wants me to be grounded and founded and to know that there's revelation both in this book, and this might even be more important for you, but there's also revelation for you as an individual. For you young people sitting here in the front row, man, this is so important. I remember being a young person freaking out about what my life was going, what's going to happen, who am I going to marry, where am I going to go? <laughs> Did you know that the Lord has it all figured out? Okay, he sees it all from beginning to end, and he's good, he can be trusted, and his plans won't be stopped. As a 41-year-old young person now, thank you, Pam, because I'm still super young, even though I'm 41, I choose to trust the Lord. There's unknowns in Luke Frechette's future. There's unknowns in this town, there's unknowns in this church. Oh, oh. I choose to just be okay with it. My God's so good. He's got a plan. He's given, and he gives me personal revelation. He'll give you personal revelation for your day if you put yourself under the spot where the blessings come out. God wants to bless you. He's given to, this, uh, given to us this book as a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. The book of Revelation. It's not a hard book to understand. And I'm going to say it this way. It's not a hard book to understand because the book of Revelation comes with a divine outline. It's included in verse 19. And because we're not going to get to verse 19 until right around September, I want you to turn there now. So go ahead and turn to verse 19. You guys think I'm kidding. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> a little optimistic there. Look at verse 19. Red letters, Jesus now speaking to John. Jesus tells him what to write, and he tells him how to write it and where to write it. I'll read it to you. He says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The Greek word for after this is metatauta. That will come into play in chapter 4. Hey, John, write down the things that you've seen. They're over there. Write down the things that are. They're right in front of you. And write down the things that are not yet. They're coming up next. Write these things down, John. And when he says write the things that you have seen, John, he's talking about the resurrected Jesus. You see, John was in his 90s. Him and Jesus were friends and alive together 60-some years earlier. It had been 60 years after the ascension of Jesus. And so Jesus visits him on this island of Patmos and says, John, I want you to write and record that I exist, that I'm real. Talk about me in chapter 1. Make sure nobody misses it, that it's all about Jesus. He says, I can do that. And so he writes the things that he had seen right down the road. Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. That's who it starts with. And then he says, and write the things that are. You see, on that very day, John was in Patmos. They're off the east coast of Greece in the Aegean Sea. Further east would be the region of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, where there would be seven churches that John had helped start and pastor. And he was still the pastor, and he was given this revelation to give to them because that was what was happening right in front of him, the seven churches. There were churches everywhere. And did you know that from that day, those churches planted churches, 
and those churches planted churches, and those churches planted some churches, and you know the churches who planted those churches planted this church? It's the same day. It's the same age. It's still the same time slot. The book of Revelation is not hard to understand. Write the things you have seen. Jesus Christ in his resurrected form, he's real. And write the things that are, the church. Chapters 2 and 3 detail the church, both specifically to the seven churches there in Asia Minor. Okay, uh, per, they're, all, they're all listed here, Thyatira and, and, and Laodicea, and, and they're all listed. They were real, literal churches that Jesus had a letter for, but they also exemplify the church age, the history of the church, which is right now. I hope you guys know that we're in the church age. And then Jesus told John, write the things you have seen, me, the person of Jesus, and then write the things that you are seeing the people of Jesus, and then write the things that will come after this. Listen, the program of Jesus. You could write that down in your notes. The person of Jesus, the people of Jesus, and the program of Jesus. And he looked down the pike, and this is when John was taken up into the spirit, into heaven, and he saw the rest of the book, chapters four, five, and six through 19, the tribulation, Armageddon, the millennial reign, the second return of Christ, the white throne judgment seat, the doing away of the old earth and the new earth coming and the new kingdom forever and ever. He saw all of that and wrote it down. Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It's kind of like going to a parade. You ever been to a parade before? Parades are awesome. My kids love parades because they have contests to see who can get the most candy. And I'm not sure why it's so exciting to them because as soon as we get home, they count it then they organize it, then they trade it, and then about 20 minutes later, we throw it all in the garbage every single time. That's what we do. We let them have one piece, and even that we take out of their mouth and throw away. It's garbage. It's a parade. You guys have been to parades. They're fun, though. Here's what happens at a parade. You're sitting at the parade, and on your left, if you're right here in the streets there, you can see the things that have just gone by. There they are. There's the back of that last float. There it is right there, and there's also a float right in front of you that you're enjoying, and there's also floats to come. This is the same breakdown of the book of Revelation. John was instructed, write the things you have seen, the things that are, and the things that are coming up next. Here's the cool part. That's all we know. We also have a vantage point to Jesus Christ. We also have a vantage point of the church right now, the church you go to, the church we're a part of. And we want to, and we get to have a vantage point to what's coming down the pike next. God, however, is the parade director. He's not sitting there enjoying it like you and I are. Instead, he's in the Goodyear blimp looking at the whole thing. He sees the beginning of the parade, Genesis, and beyond before time began. And he sees the middle of the parade. And he sees the end of the parade. And he sees everything that's going on right now, and he's not tripping. Matter of fact, he's enjoying it. He put it all together. All of time. He's in charge. And when you know this, this will help the way you navigate life's ups and life's downs. When you know that the parade director's in charge. Because if you're like me, you've prayed some prayers before about the things in front of you that didn't go your way. Has that ever happened to you that didn't go your way? Did you know that every time you pray, God answers your prayers every single time? With one of three answers. Yes, those are good days. No, hmm. or not yet. He answers your prayer every single time. And you might argue with me, he didn't answer my prayer. Well, he did. You just didn't like it. You know what I'm saying? Lord, you're praying for something and you get the wrong answer. Well, you got to trust the prayer director. He knows what he's doing. And sometimes we pray and the Lord gives us the answer. We're like, eh, pass. You know, what's the next answer? No, no, no. He chooses what goes down. And we get to trust him tonight as we study. And here's the deal. The book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It comes with its own divine outline. You should have that written down somewhere. And it's found in verse 19 of chapter 1. The things that are, the things that were, 
and the things that are coming next. He makes sure that we have that so we don't get it twisted. Now, here's a couple thoughts about Revelation. This is all introduction today, and I meant to actually get a little further. We're actually going to be in chapter 1, verse 1 again next week, uh, believe it or not. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. I know it's kind of hard to believe, but here's, here's another thought you could write down is Revelation just doesn't get enough press. People don't get into the book enough. Churches don't teach it enough. Christians don't read it enough, and primarily it's because we don't think we understand it. We're scared of it. But I think it goes even further than that, even deeper than that. I think the reason we don't pick up the book of Revelation, we don't study it, we don't talk about it, by and large, is because Satan doesn't want us to. Satan doesn't want you in that book. The very last book, the final book, the, the book about Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. Satan would love it if you just freaked out about that book and read something else. I'll tell you why, actually. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Did you know that not only is the book of Revelation not hard to understand and that it has a divine outline, but that the book of Revelation has a unique blessing attached to those who read it, hear it, and keep it? In the beginning, right here, verse 3, he says you're going to be blessed just by hearing it just by reading it, and just, you're going to be blessed uniquely, some ways. It's going to, blessings are going to show up in your life. God gets to choose how. And at the end of the book, chapter 22, right on verse 7, he says, and anyone who keeps this will be blessed. He says that at the beginning, at the end. Why does Satan keep you from this book? Why don't churches jump right into this book? I believe it's because of the power, the miraculous power that comes from just reading it, okay, hearing it, and keeping it. Now, what I'm going to do over the course of the next year or so is read it out loud, every verse to you guys. You're going to hear it, and we're all going to keep it, okay? But in the Greek, it says those who read it will be blessed. And what it literally means is those who read out loud. That's the, it's an out loud Greek word. And I would encourage you, here's my challenge for this service, is that this week, somewhere, find some time in a closet, in your shower, in the bathroom, on the bus, whatever you do, and carve aside about an hour's worth of time and try and read the book of Revelation from beginning to end out loud. You could do it with your spouse. You could do it with your friends, with your kids. Try it. I believe that there is a blessing attached to those who read it, those who hear it, and those who keep it. There was an olden pastor years ago who, when he stumbled upon this, he committed to reading the book of Revelation once per day his entire life, 30 times per month, reading it, because he was convinced this is where the blessing is going to flow out of. I don't need to decide how. I don't need to worry about. That's the Lord's prerogative. He said the person who reads it and hears it and keeps it is going to be blessed. Duh! I'm going to do it. And this is my challenge to you guys. Make some time. Ask the Lord to help you to get into the book. Revelation brings a blessing. There is an outline. And not enough people are getting into it. I also have mentioned to you a couple of times tonight that Revelation is in the back of the book. It's super easy to find. You look like a Bible scholar, a student, when you're like, oh, I'm just studying the book of Revelation. I know exactly where it's at. But here's another thought to consider. Do you remember back in eighth grade, remember ninth grade, math class, and you're going through your textbook and trying to figure out these algebraic equations? And then one day you got to the back of the book. You ever just stumbled into the back of the book, and all of a sudden you found all of the answers? And you're looking up like, oh, dude, dude, you know, and you think, there's got to be a mistake. Like, I got the teacher's edition. Who should I tell? No one, you know. The answers are in the back of the book. Yes, remember that? It was great. Man, it was the best math class ever. And here's the reason. They didn't put those answers in the back of the book for you to cheat. Okay, they were there to confirm that you were doing things right. 
the equations. They were there to teach you. And see, in the back of the book, we've got Revelation. It's the final book. It's the answers. And it's there to confirm in your life that you're doing the right thing. As you understand the book of Revelations, you get it. You can have confirmation. Listen, you can have confirmation or correction in your heart. Some of you need confirmation tonight. Okay, I just feel better. I thought I was, man, I just, okay, I'm good. Some of you need correction in your heart. Like, okay, oh, whoa, okay, I guess <laughs> I was doing that equation all wrong. Because we got to the back of the book and I realized the kingdom of Jesus is coming. The king is coming in the clouds. He declares he's coming. He says not to get too wrapped up in the affairs of this life and not to get it twisted. And I've been getting wrapped up in this life and I've got it twisted. Oh, no. And because the answer is in the back of the book, it can confirm in your life. Keep charging if that's you or minor adjustment, minor adjustment. Got to get this problem right. Another thing I would have you write down. Hopefully you're just writing down some of these big headings. The revelations in the back of the book because that's where the answers are. Here's another thought. Revelation. This is kind of easy, but it goes. It's important. Revelation is all about Jesus. In this study, you know, we're going to discover, we're going to discover a lot of stuff. We're going to go over the rise of the beast out of the sea is the Antichrist. We're going to see the nations and the kingdoms of the world come together in, in, in Armageddon. We're going to see a, a fight brewing. We're going to see all kinds of calamities. You're going to be able to identify stuff. We'll see cashless societies and marks of the beast. And we're going to see all kinds of crazy stuff. We're like, whoa, no way. That's not primarily what this book is about. The very title itself in the very first verse, I'll read it to you again, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I just need you to lean into that. I hope you're excited about figuring out what the book of Revelation says. Man, I just got to figure it out. I got the timeline now. I know it's about things that were, things that are, and things are to come. I know it's about chapter one, chapter two, and three, and chapters four through 19. I know that. Okay, I got it figured out. Good. You know what you really, 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 really need, though? You need a revelation of Jesus Christ. You need to see him for who he is again and again and again and tomorrow again. You need more Jesus. I'm excited that we can find some of this stuff out and figure it out and not be dummies prophetically. But what you really need is a fresh dose and a fresh glance of Jesus. Last night I stayed up real late trying to figure this out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Typing all, it was a busy day, man, soccer game after soccer, just, just a busy day. And so I was in my, my, little, my little study at my house last night till about 11, 11.30, maybe even later, just putting it all together. I was like, this is too late for a Saturday night. So I went to bed, and I got up around 5, a little, little after 5, and went right back to the study, sat right, right back down where I left off, and I'm studying. I'm kind of, I'm kind of freaking out this morning, <laughs> to be honest with you. I was like, how do I do this? And as I was driving here this morning, just, you know, eating my sandwich, trying not to throw up, here's my normal routine, you know, and as I got to the bridge, I prayed. I always pray on the bridge for a couple of reasons. And as I got to the bridge, I turned the music off, and I stopped. I was like, Lord, dude, I need help right now. I need, I need your help. I need your peace. I need your confidence. And I'm not kidding. It was, so, it was so legit. I started thanking God, okay? I started thanking him for his word. I said, thank you for your word. We get to study your word. It's not about me. It's not about my interpretation or my understanding. It's about, Lord, you're so good. And I began to sense God's presence, and I actually had to choke back the tears at that very moment. I was like, Lord, your word, you've given it to us. And then I saw on my right this woman walking on the bridge. Her name's Chris. She used to work at the Shell Station. That's where I met her. She sat right back there. And as I saw Chris walking, she had her headphones on, and she was walking like a militant soldier, like on the bridge. And I was like, she's walking to church right now to get the word. And I began to thank God for the word, and she's going, I began to weep, just thanking God for his presence. And I'll tell you what, what you need, and I was not freak out about all the nuances and all the little things going on in your life. Truly, what you really need is a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
He's coming. The program's happening. The parade's all set in stone. He's the director. He's got it all figured out. What you really need tonight is to calm your heart and to tap into Jesus and get closer to him. That's what you really need. It's called the revelation of Jesus, not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not called the revelation of the beast, the revelation of the mark of the It's not called any of that. It's simple. My pastor, who's now in heaven, Andy Green, used to say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the first time I heard that, I was like, that was pretty funny. Yeah. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And you and I get it twisted. We get it freaked out. We forget Jesus here to John the Revelator. John on the island of Patmos. John who might have been going through a low day. You ever been through a low day when you're on the island of Patmos, 90 years old all by yourself? <laughs> and so Jesus shows up. He's like, I got something for you. A life raft? No. A helicopter? No. A snack pack? No. What do you got for me, Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you a revelation. All right. <laughs> Take it up with Jesus. John was probably crying out. Lord, get me out of here. What's going on? We're going to see in verse 10 in a couple of weeks <laughs> that, it was a that, that he got this revelation on a Sunday. It was the Lord's day. And he said it was the Lord's day, and I was in the spirit. I was in the spirit. On the say that again, John. Did you have your banana boat on, you know? They're in the Aegean Sea on this God-forsaken rocky island of death. And I was in the spirit, seeking the Lord. Whoa. And what did Jesus do? He come and he grabbed you and took you away? Well, kind of. He took me into heaven. He showed me the end. And then he put me right back where I was. He said, now you're all right? I said, yeah, now I'm all right. Now I'm all right. I can do this. He would be released later in, in his life. John from the island of Patmos, and it's old and at days, maybe 100 years old. And they would actually take John to Bible studies because he was the last apostle connected to Jesus Christ. James and John, they were brothers. They were fishermen, sons of Zebedee. He was the last one. And they would take him to Bible studies, and they would say, dude, you're the last guy. You're the last apostle, the last Jedi. Man, you're the last one. Tell us something. And he would be wheeled into rooms and brought in on stretchers because he couldn't even walk. And he would sit up and he would give a sermon because he knew Jesus. You know what he would say? True story. History records it. He would say this. Little children, love one another. And then he would sit down. And they're like, bro, you know, mind blown. I'm like, wow, I've never heard that, you know. And the Lord would anoint it. So that's what he learned from Jesus. Now, you guys know he didn't start out that way, right? Jesus nicknamed him and his brother the sons of thunder. Because they were kind of roughnecks. They were fishermen. They wanted to fight people. They wanted to mess people up. And Jesus was like, you guys got a long way to go. And so he gave them a nickname, Sons of Thunder, and he taught them how to love. Remember that one scene where James and John the Revelator were arguing over who was going to be on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus? And Jesus was like, come again? What are you guys talking about? You, you, oh, you want to be on the right hand and the left hand? Brilliant. Brilliant. Then Jesus said, are you really able to drink the baptism I'm going to drink? The suffering I'm going to go? Are you guys really able to do that? And they're fishermen like, yeah, we're super tough, dude, super tough, you know. And so Jesus said, right on, you will. You will drink that baptism of suffering. James would be the very first apostle to be martyred. Herod would kill him. Acts chapter 12 records it. Just sentenced him to death. Some historians say his head was cut off, which would have been optimum. Other historians say he was cut in half the long way for sport. And the people of Jerusalem loved it. And so Herod Agrippa, Herod Antipas, I should say, Herod Antipas arrested Peter the very next day and imprisoned him and intended to kill Peter as well. But Peter was delivered by the angel. You can read that in Acts chapter 12. 
Ultimately, though, John would be arrested, the apostle John, and he would be persecuted not by Caesar Nero, but by Titus Flavius Domitian, one of the worst Roman emperors ever. And Titus Flavius Domitian would come to John, the apostle, in his 70s, 80s, and say, look, new rules, I'm God, everyone's worshiping me now. And John would be like, well, I got a problem with that. There's only one God, his name's Jesus, I'm not bowing down. Bow down or die. And there was bloodshed all around Rome. Millions of Christians through Titus Flavius Domitian would be persecuted and killed. He would take them and put spears through their back all the way through their spine out their neck and dip them in wax and put those spears in the ground and light them on fire and have colonnades of people lined up saying the light of the world. He would take Christians and dress them in lamb skins and feed them to lions, hungry lions. Say, go ahead, you're the lamb of God. Go ahead and fight these lions. And he'd pull them apart. The brutality is off the charts. And so when Domitian told John, bow down to me and worship me, this is who I am, John said, I'm not doing it. And he said, boil him in oil. And so they took John because he wouldn't bow down to the world system. And they boiled him in oil. And while they were watching him fry, he was the first fryer. That's kind of... <laughs> too soon, too soon. It's true, though. While he was boiling in oil, he didn't boil. He didn't die. He started doing the breaststroke. They're like, get him out of there. And he miraculously didn't die. So Domitian spazzed out a little bit. He's like, dude, this guy's no joke. This guy's next level, but we can't trust him. He wouldn't die in the boiling oil. Let's send him to the island of Patmos. Banish him to desertion. It's in this environment that Jesus spoke to John. That he used, did you know that John had already written the Gospel of John? So we would believe. And then he wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, so we would be sure. And then Jesus gave him the book of Revelation, so we would be ready. John was used mightily. He wrote five books of the New Testament. And the fifth one that he wrote was in the least likely or desired condition you could imagine yourself to ever be in. Boiled alive, banished, deserted. Every other apostle was dead. Paul, head cut off. Peter crucified upside down. All the other apostles dead. He's the last one. Like, dude, this is crazy. And Jesus says, I know what I'm doing. I'm the parade director. I got to give you a revelation of myself about the things you've seen, the things that are, and this is so important, John, the things that are coming next. Write it down and give it to the seven churches. Not just those churches, but to this church. And let me just make sure you hear this. It's very important. I've read books before and learned about Jesus. Have you? pretty cool i've gone to conferences and learned about jesus i've gone to concerts and learned about jesus i've gone to bible studies and learned about jesus john was in the worst situation he could ever imagine and that's where jesus gave him the revelation of jesus you can learn about jesus in books conferences concerts small groups and bible studies for sure but if you're old enough you would also go on record and say, you know where I really learned some valuable lessons? It was in the hard times, the difficult days. I learned more about Jesus, who he was and what he's doing, in the difficulties, the failures, the mistakes, the sins committed by me and around me. I learned more about his grace there than anything else. I, 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 that's my experience. I love learning as a student with pad and paper. Oh, that's cool. Good concept. I like that. It's a good note. Good, good play on words. And then there's times where I feel like I just got boiled in oil. I feel like I blew it. I feel like I'm deserved. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm a failure, a has-been, a wash-up. You know what Jesus says? I'm the prayer director. And he gives us revelation. Maybe you're here tonight, 
and you, you did the right thing. You came to church, it's the right thing to do. And you're gonna learn something. But maybe Jesus has you right now in your own barrenness. It's a place you don't wanna be. A situation you didn't ask for. Maybe it even feels like it's gonna crush you. And you tonight can say, Lord, it is what it is. But would you redeem it? Would you give me revelation of Jesus in this time? Don't let the, the, the hollowness, the sickness in your stomach, don't let the emptiness be wasted. I tell people who go through real traumatic times that are in pain, I said, don't waste the pain. Pain is an amazing teacher, is it not? Pain gets your attention. Okay, when you're in pain, okay, you learn things at a deeper level. Don't waste the pain because if you waste the pain and don't learn the lesson, you might have to repeat the, the course, you know what I'm saying? John here was blessed in the midst of perilous times. And I'm going to make sure you see this correlation. How did he get to the island of Patmos? Because he didn't do what Domitian wanted him to do. Here's the deal. We live in a world, I'm not going to paint this picture too clear. You can fill in the blanks. We live in a world right now that wants you to do what it wants to do. This world is bending upon the Christian narrative. This world is pressing upon the church, saying, we're in charge. This is what we want. This is the new way. This is the new normal. This is the new definition. These are the new boundaries. This is the new road. Take it or leave it. How are you doing with that? It's nuts. It's crazy. Just read the newspaper. Just read Facebook for a second. See what's going on out there. And here's what I want you to do as Christians. I want you, like John, to say, no. No. I love you. I love you, Domitian. Praying for you to get saved. Okay. But if my resistance to what you say is true and what I say is true causes me to get burned, have your way. Burn away. This is important, Christian, okay, because we live in a very temperamental society. If, if somebody doesn't like you or doesn't like me, we want to fix it, and I don't want to offend anybody, and I get in trouble on Facebook from time to time. You ever seen that before? And it just gets a little crazy out there, and I say stuff on Facebook I got to take off, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, I hope you know what you believe, and I hope you know that the world around you is going to disagree, and it's going to push on you. Guess what Jesus is going to do? He's going to back your play, Okay. Don't go all nuts, get all aggro, you know, aggressive and stand on a soapbox, you know, and sharpen your sword so it's real pointy, like, I'll cut your head off, you know, don't do that. But you better know what you know what you know what you know, okay? And if you have to suffer for it, you're amongst great company. Jesus Christ, the host of heaven, John the revelator. And the world is demanding that you bow down to its systems, its ideas, and its ways. It's at war with God, his church, and his word. This is not new. It's been going on. As we study the book of Revelation, God's going to ground us and found us. Now, there's a few other just concepts I need to put out there. The book of Revelation, as we studied, is full of symbols. You can write that down. There's symbols in the throughout. If you haven't read the book of Revelation, the first time I read the Revelation all the way through, I was about 19 years old. I was trying to walk with the Lord. I was having a kind of a problem leading a duplicitous life. And I remember I was at home, and I'd been hanging out with my friends too long, doing things I shouldn't be doing. I was trying to sober up at home, and I decided the best way to sober up was to read the book of Revelation. And I remember I was reading the book of Revelation, and I got to some of the parts where it talks about the ten-headed beast coming out of the sea with 12 horns, you know. And I was like, just I read it, and I shut it, and I was like, I started praying. I was like, all right, Lord, you're trying to tell me there's a beast in the sea, okay, with 10 heads and 12 horns? You know what, Lord? That's cool. That's cool. I believe it. And if Jacques Cousteau hasn't been able to find it up until now, okay, that's just good on you, man. You're pretty good at what you do. 
And I began to just tell the Lord, if you want to do it, you know, and the Coast Guard hasn't been able to find this beast in the sea, not realizing that the sea is the world system, that beast is governments that rise up, that the rulers are the ten and the twelve horns, and all of it is symbolic. Like, oh, oh I knew that, I knew that. <laughs> Either way, Lord, whatever you want to do, you got some Loch Ness monster in the ocean, like, I'm about it, I'm about it. And here's the point. You as Bible students need to be comfortable being challenged by and learning the symbols of the, of the scriptures. There's a few reasons why the symbols are there. Okay? Number one is to convey a truth. The symbols, they convey truth to us. When the, when the readers would receive this letter, they would see the symbols, they would know it, and it would actually elicit a response, an emotional response within them to engage with the text that was being handed to them. Okay? Uh, instead of saying stuff like, well, there's going to be an evil dictator who rises to power, John says things like a beast will rise from the sea because it helps us to lock into what's going on. And he uses symbols to both convey a message, but also, not just that, but to conceal the message. See, this book is hidden and was hidden from Rome, from haters. John writes this letter and he passes it to the seven churches and the Roman guards are like, what's this? Some comic book? All right, seems harmless. And they pass it on. Not realizing it's all about the rise and fall of Rome and the rest of the civilization. The other Christians would know what's going on when they read this because not just does it convey the message and conceal the message, but it also connects the message to the Old Testament. Did you know that in the book of Revelation there are over 300 references to the Old Testament? It's kind of cool. The last book of the Bible, okay, is best interpreted through the first part of the Bible. And so if you're brand new to the Bible study, hey, that's okay. But if you don't know the Old Testament, don't have a handle on it, you're going to have to work a little harder to figure out some of these symbols. But all this was in order that they would be able to walk closer together. Did you know that in the early church, have you guys ever seen, uh, I'll use one symbol for example, uh, a fish. You ever seen the Christian fish on cars before? Okay, the ichthus, and you see a car driving down the road, and they got a fish there, and they're going 85 miles an hour on Highway 1. And you're like, are you really a Christian? You know, like, what's going on? Did the rapture happen? Someone stole your car? <laughs> Anyways, the, the fish... You guys might not know this. During the persecution in the first church, a Christian would come up to a group of people, and he would bow down on the ground, and he would draw half of that fish, kind of just like a half moon. He would stand up and walk away. And other Christians would see that, and they would come along, and they would complete the other half moon, making the fish. And that would be the symbol, the code to say, oh, you you, you, me, we, you, we, we, you, we, me, yeah, whoa, okay, and now I can trust you, and you can trust me, we can have fellowship. When this book was penned, that's what the symbols are there for, so it's going to help, we're going to have to work just a little bit hard to find out how this all works. I got a few more thoughts before we close tonight, and we're just trying to get you guys excited to read this book on your own this week, but let me just uh, make sure you write this down. You can, you can write down the nature of prophecy. Here's how prophecy works. Our understanding, your understanding, my understanding of prophecy evolves, changes, and develops. Okay? You can just simplify that. Your understanding of prophecy, it's going to evolve. It's going to change and develop with technology, with time. You're going to see things differently a year from now. It's just the way it is. Get okay with that. I used to be a little iron-fisted in my understanding of, of prophecy. Like, this is how it is. I just read the News Times. It's right here. It's right here. As a matter of fact, as I was getting my coffee on the way here from Starbucks, I looked at the uh, USA Today or the Oregonian or something. It was a picture of Vladimir Putin and the leader of China, and it says Russia and China strengthening their allegiance as tensions with U.S. arise. And I was like, dude, that's revelation right there. We got these two guys. They're all fired up looking at America like, let's go to war. And if you read the book of Revelation, all that's got to happen. It's all there. I'll tell you what, though. That might change. That might change. Okay. 
And there's a temptation to read the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other hand and piece it all together. Let me contrast what I just said, though. Your understanding is going to change, it's going to evolve. You know what's not going to change or evolve? Prophecy. The actual prophecy. It's not going to change at all. There's no deviation. It's set in stone. The parade director already picked all the dates, times, and players. Boom, it's all there. It's kind of fun for us to try and figure out what's going on, to look and to see and to weigh it out. Prophecy's not going to change at all. Your view will, though, and that'll help keep you from going to the pride zone. Let me say something else. Your view of prophecy will change. Prophecy itself will never change. But your view of prophecy and what you believe is happening will determine what you do and do not do. What you believe determines how you behave. If you believe a certain thing about the end days, prophetical nature, if you believe something, it will determine how you behave. If you believe that these are the end days and knowledge is increasing and people are traveling to and fro and that the Lord's return is nigh and there's going to be an antichrist rising, there's going to be a rapture of the church. If you believe that, it's going to change the entire way you process everything. You're going to live every single day differently. You're going to be ready for his return. And did you know that the Lord doesn't return today or tomorrow? Or the next day, you will live a life with roots down, fruits out. You're still going to be here on purpose. I'm excited for two things. I'm excited to die and go to heaven. I'm excited to be raptured. I'm so excited. But I'm also excited to live on purpose until then. That's the best of both worlds. If you live to be super old and you produce fruit the whole time, like, what the heck? Or if the Lord comes tonight, what the heck? It's, it's good either way. Now, if you are here and you're like, oh, I don't believe any of that's happening, well, sucks to be you. I thought twice about saying that, and then I decided to say it. If you don't believe this is happening, if you don't, you're going to miss out on every day you should be living right now and the expectation and anticipation of a soon return. You got a mess in your hands right now? Things all out of control in your life? Okay? Look to the parade director. He's not spazzing out. He's good. He's got it. He knows what he's doing right now. And the world around you needs you to be salt and to be light. The nature of prophecy. I'm just going to give you a few more. I know we've gone right up to the edge of our time tonight. Here's the benefits of prophecy. I just got a few more things. Number one, it proves the Bible to be true. Prophecy, if you're not a prophecy student, you should be. If you're a Bible, if you're a Christian, you're going to be a Bible student. If you're a Bible student, you'll be a prophecy student. Prophecy proves the Bible to be true. There's probably somebody here tonight that probably doesn't know that the Bible's true yet. You're like, well, it's a good book. I'm glad Luke teaches it. I'm not really sure it's all there, though. The book that we hold in front of you, this book, 66 books, Genesis through Revelation, is the only book in all of the world that has gone on record to predict the truth, to predict the future, and get it right every single time. Okay? Other people have tried, other groups have stepped up to the plate and said, we think it's going to happen this way. And swing and a miss. This book is the only book that goes on record and says, here's how it's going to go, and then sits back and watches it happen. Okay? That's virtually impossible unless God wrote this book. As a matter of fact, if you desire to be a cult leader in the near future, okay, one thing I would advise you not to do, don't make prophecies, okay? Because you'll be known of false. You just, you'll be known of fake. Like, you start guessing stuff, you're going to get it wrong every time. The Bible is proven through prophecy. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ was born. He lived. He died. In between his life, he did miracles and arrived and did things the way that it was prophesied. There's seven specific miracles that are recorded in Genesis. They're recorded in Isaiah. recorded in Micah. They're recorded in the Psalms. They're recorded in Daniel. Seven specific prophecies about Jesus Christ and the way that he did what he did. Okay? 
it's actually impossible for a person to fulfill those seven prophecies in and of themselves on accident. The probability of somebody fulfilling those prophecies is one in 87 to the 97th power. I finally got it right this service. One in 87 to the 97th power. Okay, that's an 87 with 97 zeros after it. The probability of one against that number is a man being able to do what Jesus did. Here's the likelihood. You guys have heard the illustration before, and some of you who haven't heard it, I'll tell it to you now. It would be like taking Texas, the state of Texas, the biggest state. Is it big or is that Alaska bigger? It's big. Texas is huge and covering it three feet deep with walnuts. Okay, And then you're flying over the state of Texas, and you're looking out, and all you can think is, man, that's nuts. <laughs> you know, that's funny stuff right there. And, and walnuts everywhere. And then you take one walnut. This is the stat. Take one walnut and paint it orange. And just put that walnut somewhere in Texas. Might be San Antonio. Might be Austin. Might be Santa Fe. Might be one of you. Know, Santa Fe, Texas? Dang it. <laughs> I ain't never been to Texas. And you're flying over Texas. And you're like, now, Geronimo. And you jump out. 10,000 feet, 6,000 feet, 3,000 feet, and you pull your parachute, and you land in the walnuts. And the chance that you would be able to reach down, fishing through, oh, 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 and you pull out the orange walnut. Is it, is it even possible? The answer is, is, yeah, it is. It's actually possible that you could find that one walnut. It's not probable, Okay. But it is possible. There is that walnut. And for Jesus, for Jesus Christ to, to fulfill seven prophecies in his life is the same likelihood that you'd be able to pull that one walnut out. The Bible is not full of seven prophecies. It is full of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that have come true. They've already come true. And so when we study this book, I want you Christians to be fired up. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's been faithful thus far. He's not going to start failing now. Prophecy is intended to comfort the believer, to encourage the believer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, I want you guys to talk about the end days and therefore gain comfort in them. Okay, comfort each other with these words, talking about the rapture of the church, talking about the end days. But I get excited about this stuff. I'm excited for two things. I already said it. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to go there. I don't care. Who, God makes that decision. Until then, I'm going to stick and stay, and I'm going to make it pay. And then God takes me home. It's not going to disappoint me. The last thing I would say is this in closing. There is, though, a danger of prophecy. Two dangers. One I've already listed. First danger is that you would miss Jesus on accident. You'd become just kind of a weirdo. Studying the books and, you know, comparing Ezekiel and just getting into it. And I've met weirdos. I've been weird before. I've studied it. And there's no fruit in my life. I'm just kind of just weird. Don't, don't do that. The other thing, in addition to missing Jesus that you can find yourself walking into and you don't want to do this, is you can find yourself developing a spirit of pride. I got the book of Revelation figured out. I grabbed the journal. Luke passed out on day one. I filled it out. I took notes. The book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It comes with its own divine outline. The book of Revelation has a unique blessing attached to it. You begin to have this kind of weirdness about you. What's wrong with you, man? Like, oh, 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 you haven't read the book of Revelation? Ha, 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 ha. Whoa. It's careful of pride. Pride. Knowledge puffs up. It just does. Now, I want you guys to know this book, but I want it to, I want it to freak you out in a way that makes you a servant. As a matter of fact, this will be what we talk about next week a, a lot in our time together. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 again. 
is that this revelation was given to servants. It was given to John because he was going to bear witness. See, Jesus will trust to you that which he won't keep for you. God will give you stuff if he knows you're going to give it away. He'll bless you with revelation. John was a servant. Here he is on the island of Patmos. He's probably done. Let's be honest. He's done. Oh, give it a bag. Hey, Lord, any time now. And Jesus like, you're not done. You're one of my most faithful servants. <laughs> I got boiled in oil, bro. I'm over here on Patmos. I'm done. No, you ain't done. I trust you, John. You're humble. I'm going gi- to give to you the revelation of my son. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to John. John gave it to the church. And now you get a chance to get it. What are you going to do with it? Don't get prideful. Don't miss Jesus. Stay a servant. Become a servant. I'm actually going to have Isai turn the lights off and the communion is going to be brought out. And Pastor Ryan and Jesse are going to come lead us in a, a time of worship as we close. And I hope you guys are fired up, man. hope you guys are excited. I'm excited. Jesus, we're about to take communion now and we realize that when we do that, we're looking at you. The things that that were, that is Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, paying for them, suffering in our place, rising from the dead victorious. And Lord, as we do this at the end of this service, in Jesus' name, might you remind us that it's all good because of Christ, that we don't have to sweat, we don't have to worry, we don't have to strive tonight, because Lord, you've done all things well, that the Father in heaven looked down on earth and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and I sent him because I love the world and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for my son did not come into the world to condemn the world but that through the world you might be saved that's the message and so Lord as we take communion we thank you for that but before we take communion I want to give an opportunity for a response if you're here tonight maybe watching online and you would just humble yourself and say Lord I th- thank you that I'm alive in my own desertedness and my own barrenness and my own challenges and my own temptations i'm alive that i get a chance to be here and study the book of revelation not just so i can know it and go home and stow it but so i can sow it and grow it so i can give it away so i can become a better dad a better mom a better wife a better husband a better son a better daughter and if you're here tonight and you would just so simply say, I want to be a better son, son of God. I want to be a better daughter. I want to have the revelation given to me so I can know what in the heck's going on and produce more fruit and be ready when my king returns. Would you just raise up your hand right now if you're willing to just respond to him? And I'm not looking. This is between you and Jesus. Jesus, I want a, a revelation of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit so my roots would be deeper my fruits would be brighter. Raise up your hand if that's you. Lord, we repent as our hands go up. We know we're not worthy. We're like John. We're just roughnecks and renegades who had a real good best friend, a person who loved us, who chose us. Jesus, it is all about you. We confess that it's all about you. It's all about Jesus. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. In our good days, it's all about Jesus. In our bad days, it's all about Jesus. He's the answer. 
And so, Jesus, would you please, Holy Spirit, anoint us. Forgive us of our sins and help us to lead the lives you want us to lead, Holy Spirit. May we be like John, who didn't bow down to Domitian. Worst persecution we could ever imagine. Help us in our day not to spaz out, not to lash out, not to fight the wrong battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You can put your hands down. And Lord, as we come to the table, may we be refreshed in your presence. I pray you'd heal people as they come to the table tonight. May there be healing, body, mind, and spirit. True healing at the table of God. Lord, as we commune and dine at your son's table. Holy Spirit, would you be here now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.